Welcome to the VV Nation podcast, which is all about inspiring the nation to get active. I'm Chris, and in this episode, I'm joined by my cousin, James Randall. James is running 500 miles for this charity, Grit, which started with the Ultra Tour of Edinburgh at the weekend. So we're going to chat about the race, why he's doing it, his love for running, and more. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. How how are you feeling? Let's let's start with uh, how are the legs today. It, it was two days ago. Now the uh, the ultra tour of Edinburgh. I'm suffering badly from DOMS. That's delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, it normally peaks about 48 hours after the race, so I'm still walking around like the Tin Man. Um, yeah. <laughs> going upstairs is okay now, but going downstairs is still a bit of a a struggle, and uh, it's my my quads in particular are uh, are not good. Um, but they'll be fine they will indeed well you've got a lot more miles to go to be honest but let's start with um well start start at the very beginning um you're no running novice obviously i know you've done plenty of marathons and the the wall the ultra marathon last was it last year you did that yeah june 2018 yeah in 2018 so um Let's go right back to the very beginning and tell us a little bit about your char- charity challenge. Like, why why are you doing 500 miles for Grit? We started with um, a bit of background. You know, as a teenager, my sister was was anorexic and in a mental hospital. Um, only did four GCSEs, uh, but eventually got through it uh, with a lot of perseverance and resilience. And she's now a GP uh, and has decided to use her experiences for something good and I started a small charity called Growing Resilience in Teens or Grit um, and essentially I got pissed at a family barbecue uh, about two years ago two and a bit years ago and uh, said I'd I'd do Hadrian's Wall over three days uh, for her charity um, a few more beers later uh, I found that there was a run that did it in one day and so drunkenly volunteered to do it and once I said I was going to do it there was no going back um, so I raised around £6,000 last summer. And then whenever I, I do charity challenges, I like to raise the bar each time. So I decided that in a calendar year, I'll try and do 500 competitive miles. So that's where we started on Sunday, the first 35 of them. So the key there is it's competitive miles, right? No medal, no miles. That's the rule. No medal, no miles. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, so tell us about the Ultra Tour of Edinburgh. Um, what was it actually like on race day? It was brutal. Um, you know, you say I'm no running novice, but I believe you never stop learning. And whilst I had a cursory look at the course and read the FAQs on the website, which said it's not flat, I certainly didn't anticipate the scale of the hills. Um, and they really took me by surprise and in addition, the consistent rain we've had in the past couple of weeks had left the ground around Edinburgh very, very soggy, uh, boggy, if you like. And so I was wearing normal road running shoes rather than trail shoes. And uh, it really did cost me later on in the race. They yeah. said on the, on the website, there was a trade-off between trail shoes and road shoes. Um, so I knew that most of the, the race was on road. Uh, mm. So I went for the trainers, and that was probably a mistake. But you know, you know, you, you, you learn, and next time I won't make the same mistake. 
That is that is very true, yeah. Onwards and upwards. Um, so it was 35 miles. Um, I'm right by saying 4,000 feet of ascent. Around that, yeah. Yeah. Um, All in a short space of time as well. The, the ascent was condensed into six or seven miles, which makes it trickier. Yeah. And I saw some of your pictures from race day, which included some, some steps as well going up. So... Yeah, particularly um, the steps after 50k were a, were a cruel invention of the organisers. <laughs> and uh, I had to hold on to the rail to get myself up those steps because my, my legs were certainly wobbling by then. Yeah, that, that's cramp, just asking for cramp basically, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, so apart from reading the FAQs, how, how do you actually prepare for something like this? So, you, so you, you have your few beers, you get pissed, you make at the time you think it's a good decision what then where does it go from there first and foremost you have to do the miles whatever event you do if you put in the miles then you will benefit on the day and the fact that i've done a 29 mile training run a few weeks ago the fact that i've done a double 10k pb session in one day uh, two weeks ago i mean that even though it was painful even though i was caught out by the hills even though it was a worse experience than I anticipated, I still had enough to get round in a decent enough time. There's, there's no substitute for doing the miles beforehand. Yeah, so to anyone who listened to the Brighton Marathon podcast episode, you will recall that James was in fact one of uh, my trainers and gave me plenty of advice about doing the miles for my first marathon, which I would... I mean, you, you, James, would say that I ignored. I would say that you I took it liberally. I took it liberally, yeah. But you got me around there. <laughs> but I do agree that you can't, um, you can't really, well, replace miles. And it's time on your feet, isn't it, more than anything? It is. And, you know, as you say, I'm, I'm not a novice. And you were a novice and you learn. You learn from experience. And that's the only way you can do it sometimes is by suffering. Um, but I will certainly be less sympathetic second time second time around in brighton uh, next year if you are in the same physical condition i will be in peak condition james you'll be pleased to know so yes we did uh, the whole team vivi basically got into the brighton marathon this morning um so we'll be back for that but anyway um back to your prep um so miles on your feet you did um let's talk about fuel Obviously, over 35 miles, you, your body needs a lot of fuel, to be honest. Um, how do you even go about preparing for how much fuel you need to take, what you need to take, um, and so on? Again, it, it's trial and error, and I'm not a fan of eating before big races. Um, sometimes you have to. But before the wall, I, I stuffed down three bowls of porridge and two bananas, and it just left me feeling bloated. So before Sunday's run I just I ate a massive meal on the Saturday evening I had two bowls of pasta and some garlic bread lots of water um, so I had my calories on the Saturday night and on Sunday morning I just had a single banana um, and I felt much lighter and, and much better and during the course of the run I had one packet of peanuts uh, two flapjacks uh, four gels and two bottles of Lucasade and that was it that's not that much is it that's a surprisingly not that much. I, I mean, I reckon I probably took on more than that during the Brighton Marathon. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of that is psychological, though. Um, yeah. There's only so much fuel that your body needs. And particularly, 
once I'd mentally adapted to the pace after the hills and realised I wasn't going to smash any world records, that you just slow your, your running down, your body just uses its own fuel naturally. So it's just about topping that up and not becoming completely reliant on it. That's when you bonk, when you completely reliant on, on the fuel you're taking in. When that disappears is when you have the problem. So it's about trying to keep it on an even keel. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, tactics? It's each to their own, sorry. Um, sorry it, you know, you've got to do what's right for you. Yeah. Some people need a lot more, some people need a lot less. And yeah, that's true. And I think everyone responds differently as well. So I've yeah, got and, and I've you, got mates who take, you know, ten energy gels and feel fine. Whereas I've got others who maybe take three or four energy gels and it will make them feel a bit sick because that's they can be a bit hard on the stomach. So it's, as yep. as you say, everyone's different and you've got to do what feels right for you. And what, what you should never ever do is do something new on race day. Yes. So if you intend to use gels, even if it's on a five K run, just run five K and have a gel and see how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, that certainly applies to all distances. Um, so let's talk tactics. Did you have any? Um, were you thinking before the race that you're just going to run the whole 35 miles through? Uh, how, how did your race prep in terms of tactics compare to when you did the 69 mile, the wall? Well, the wall was the first time I'd ever done anything like that, so I was deliberately conservative. Um, I think my fastest mile on the wall was my 52nd mile, which was 10 minutes, three seconds. So I didn't do a single mile under 10 minutes because I was always holding something back for the unknown. Mm -hmm. um, for this run, I was in good condition. Um, and my third mile on the day was 7.55 because I thought, you know, when, when it's flat ground, we're on the roads, I'm going to make up time in case I lose it later. Um, and I certainly did lose it later in those hills, I think. My 13th mile was 17 minutes, 46 seconds. So you can see how much of a struggle that was. So after that, um, it's about how you mentally adapt. So tactics went out the window. Any thoughts of a time under six hours went out the window. It's just about getting myself round because I still have 465 miles to go in this next year. So I wanted to protect my body rather than try and be here. I think your, uh, your brother Nick summed it up nicely when he said complete and compete. That is true. Very true. So you mentioned the miles that you've got to come. What else is on your agenda? So at the moment we've got um, Goodwood Marathon in December, Portsmouth Half in February, uh, Ultra Tour of Arran in April, Brighton Marathon in April. Uh, I'll do something in May. I don't know what yet. Then in June, I've got Runstock. I've got The Wall. Um, in July, I've got Man versus Coast and possibly the Ultra Tour of Jersey. In August, I've got the Canterbury Trails, which is 67 miles over two days following Chaucer's Pilgrim's Route. In September, I'm hoping to get a place in the Marathon de Medoc. Um, that would be a fun treat to myself, uh, where you get to drink wine and run around smashed for a marathon. Sounds uh, great. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple more halves and finishing with the ultra tour of Edinburgh again. Okay. So you're finishing where you started basically. Yeah. Love Book it. Ending it with, with the same run. Yeah. So I just want to put all of this into context really, because I, I have obviously followed, been my cousin, I've followed your journey from the very start and 
I find it very inspiring. Like when you did the wall, absolutely loved it. That was one of the main reasons why I signed up for the marathon. Um, to anyone who's listening who maybe has done a 10K or like a half marathon or even a marathon, what, what would you say to anyone uh, who wants to sort of progress into, like why would you do an ultra, for example? Because you want to. That's right. the only reason you should ever do it. If you don't want to do it, you won't train for it properly. Yeah. You won't be mentally prepared. And the mental side is the single biggest thing. There yeah. comes a point in any ultramarathon where your legs stop hurting more. You reach that maximum pain threshold and it just becomes a mental challenge to keep yourself going. Yeah. And if you're not prepared for that, if you don't know why you're doing it, if you don't want to do it, you won't do it. Yeah. That's don't force yourself to anywhere as a wisdom. Yeah. Um, I think, well, how do, you, how do you even want to do something like that, though? Like, what is it that drives you to do something like that? It's, it's amazing what, what you find your body can do and pushing yourself to new challenges. Endorphins are a wonderful thing. It becomes addictive. Um, and so it's the same way as, I guess, you know, when you first have a couple of pints as a teenager, you know, two pints gets you pissed. You think, well, I wonder if I had a few more. And when you have the high of a, of a 10K or a half marriage, you think, oh, I wonder if it would get better. Um, and even though it is particularly painful, you do get an enormous buzz from doing it yeah yeah that's true and I, I do think the satisfaction of you know just telling people i ran from carlisle to newcastle yeah and seeing the look on their faces and they're like no you didn't I'm like yeah i did <laughs> yeah and it's just it's as, as a pub bore it's nice yeah that's true so you, you kind of touched on it there but let, let's talk about your general love for running um, I'd be keen to know a bit more about how it started and, and why do you love running so much? What is it about running? Because I've tried to get you into the cycling for many years now and you've always just stuck with that one discipline. That's what you like doing and that's what you're good at. So talk about your running journey. Well, it started in 2007 um, and... KPMG, who I worked for at the time, had some places for our chosen charity, which was help hospices in the 2008 London Marathon. And as you know, our, our granddad, Harry, um, had died of cancer, was in a hospice. So I decided to, uh, to take advantage of KPMG's charity places and decided to do a marathon. That was my first ever race. I never did a 5K, never did a 10K, never did a half. I just... Mm -hmm made lots of rookie errors and, and did a marathon, which is why I tried to give you my advice for a first-time marathon runner, which we say you, you took liberally. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was a steep learning curve. Um, and then I became a bit like Ricky Hatton, where I would not run for long periods and then train for a race again until the last few years when it's become much more consistent. I've run a lot more and I... I just think it's it's a you can do it anywhere and anything. I I used to travel Asia quite a lot with work. Um, I still go away 
quite a bit and all you need to do is take your gear and your running trainers and you can go and run anywhere any time of day any place in the world you can run so you think accessibility is one of the best things about it it is and um you also can't fall off i <laughs> I, I love watching cycling and some of those crashes scare the heck out of me and I don't want to fall off and hurt myself. <laughs> I think that's very much like professional road racing or track racing, though. I can honestly say, hand on heart, I've never fallen off my bike. I'd like to see that someday. Thank you, James. <laughs> um, so in every episode, I think we want to get something actionable out of it. Um, I'd be keen to know your best training tips for long-distance running. What I've started experimenting with now is more quality over quantity. What uh, do you mean for the by wall, that? I did a lot of slow runs to get used to running slowly. So if I had a half marathon training run, I would go and do that in deliberately two and a half hours uh, because that was what I was expected to do it in on the day. But I realized after the event that had very little benefit because I was just running slowly for two and a half hours. It wasn't testing me um, from a cardiovascular perspective. It wasn't stretching my legs properly, uh, which is why you know, a couple of weeks ago before the Edinburgh went out and did a hard 10K, got a PB in the morning, and then I went out and did a hard, harder 10K and got another PB in the evening. And doing that is far better than running 20 miles really, really slowly just for the sake of it. You still have to do the long runs as well, but there's a much higher quantity of, of quality running in my training now yeah that that's quite interesting I, I was asked recently uh by a colleague who does a lot of 10k running um but only ever runs sort of like 8k so never runs more than the 10k distance so he does races um and he was asking me sort of like how do i make that 10k distance more comfortable and I mean, I'm probably not the right person to ask from a running point of view, but it's interesting what you're saying there about even for long distance running, you focus on sometimes shorter runs where you go a lot more explosive and high intensity and uh, mixed yep. in with longer runs as well. Because I said to him at the time, um, you should have a look at also incorporating some slower, longer runs that are more than 10K into it. So you're also getting used to not just speed training, but time on your feet as well. Um, so it's quite yep. interesting what you're saying there. Yeah, and it's mixing it up and it's trying to know what you're trying to get out of each session. Yeah. You know, and I think you should always try and get the same amount of benefit from every run. So if you are going to do a long, slow run, make sure you do it properly, slowly, get the time on your feet, and then you can make up for it when you do the shorter quality runs. Yeah, I think that's that's something that often gets forgotten because I, <coughs> I it's actually quite hard to run slowly, isn't it? I mean, you you spoke to me like when you were training for the wall that it's really difficult it's like a discipline to make yourself run slowly and i often during my marathon training suffered from exactly the same i'd try and say look i'm going to go for distance here don't worry about time and just run really slow before i know it i'd just run 10k almost pb and i was knackered yep um so it really it is, is. like and that plays back to the, the whole mental strength as well even the training side of things i think you've got to be so mentally switched on um you do to, sorry go on no, no, you're right you have to mentally switched on and that's why 
So you, you have to want to do whatever you're doing because mm. then it makes it mentally easier. Otherwise, you start fighting against it all and you become resentful and you don't enjoy the runs and then it becomes self-defeating. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think um, I should probably take a leaf out of that book, to be honest. <laughs> I, I do try. I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make you drink, Christopher. <laughs> well, there's a big year ahead for both of us. Um, I will be looking to do some of those events that you mentioned with you. You mentioned the Goodwood Marathon. Is that what you were talking about when we spoke the other day? Late December? Yes, early December. Oh, it's early December, so there, is it? There is a, I think there's a 10k, a half marathon, a 20 mile and the full marathon option. So, okay. I will be probably looking at the half marathon realistically. Well, Interesting. It's too soon to it do should be a nice, absolutely, and it should be. Hopefully, if conditions stay dry, it should be a nice flat road race. I think it's around Goodwood Race Circuit. Um, yeah, which certainly won't be the same hills as Edinburgh. Well, so I just want to. I think my last question. I want. I want to finish on the variety. Although obviously, all, all the things you're doing is running, the variety of events that you're doing is seriously different. So let's just pull out some of the ones that you're doing. So obviously the, the Edinburgh one that you've just done, very hilly, uh, involving steps. You've got something like the Goodwood Marathon, which is flat on a, on a track, like a nice smooth surface. Um, you've got Manvi Coast in there, which is involving water. I'm, I'm right by thinking, aren't I? Yes, but it's not a swimming event and they're keen to stress that. It is a run. It's not, it's not anything like a, you know, a, a swim run, it's just you run 24 miles along the coast to Land's End and if there's water in the way, you go through it if you want to. Right. And then Canterbury Trails, is that a run slash hike? That's a two-day event. So it can, it, it's designed as a run, but you could hike it if you want. Um, and there's our run in April, which... Uh, so I think the highest of the Pentland Hills, which I went up on Sunday, was... 485 meters or thereabouts and yeah. on day two of Aaron after you've done 30 miles on day one you have to go up goat fell which is 873 meters um on day two so that's 30 miles both days and that's i mean really that's that's pretty serious climbing to be honest yep right we yep. did uh as you know the, the three peaks challenge um it's about halfway up snowden that just over and given how my legs felt yesterday, I've got to get myself mentally attuned to something like that and having to go and do another 30 miles up some serious hills. Yeah, well, I'd certainly rather you than me, to be honest. But, I mean, You're it's going to be a to come huge... and join me. I, I will not join you for that one. <laughs> I will join you for as many as I possibly can. Um, I, I think one of the things that I'd be keen to get your thoughts on is just how you even comprehend a challenge like this. Like to me, it's absolutely mind boggling to, to run 500 competitive miles in a calendar year. I mean, one, one of those is incredible, let alone 10 of them. So how do you even get your head around the fact that you've, you've only done your first one and you've got so many more miles to go? The same way you, you get your head around doing a marathon. If you've never done a marathon or, doing an ultramarathon, you know, an ultramarathon, don't think about the entire thing, break it down. Yeah. So 
if you if you're doing a first time marathon you think right i can run two miles or i can run another two miles and you can keep going um so i'm not thinking about 500 miles thinking about the next event which is goodwood and then you so tick it off mentally in the same way that when i was doing the wall and i hit a really low spot on 28 miles because i thought i've still got to run over 40 miles here and i've only ever run 40 miles once in my life on a training run so i've still got to run further than i've ever run before and i'm already absolutely exhausted after 28 miles so mentally that was tough but then once you got over 35 miles and you started having less miles to go and you'd already done it becomes easier but you never thought about just going out and running 69 miles so i don't think about the 500 i think about the next event and how i'm going to train for that yeah and eventually so we'll be sitting here in a year's time hopefully saying yeah we've done 500 yes we will well james it's been a pleasure um i'd love to get you back on the podcast either halfway through the year or at the end of the challenge i'm sure we'll um for anyone interested in following james you'll hear a lot more from us um updating you on how he's getting on you can also follow him uh, at 500 miles for grit that's 500 the uh, numbers not the letters um james thank you very much for coming on um thank you for inviting me yeah no worries well it's an incredible story and i, I can't wait to to follow it to be honest we're so, into the first chapter though so let's hope that has a decent ending exactly there's a long way to go but we'll certainly be cheering you on so thank you thank, very much thank you very much for listening cheers everyone take care bye-bye